All right, everyone. Welcome to Salt Company. Tyler, that's a nice pumpkin you got on your head there, my friend. Uh, we are in John 17, as Katie was saying. So if you want to open your Bibles, grab those. If you don't have a, a Bible, every week when we come to Salt Company, that's like basically what we're going to do on a Thursday night is, is open up the Bible and teach through it. And so if you don't have one, we actually have some on the bookcase right outside that door. They're blue. You can have one of those. There's also a bunch of apps on your phone. But why don't you grab those, go to John chapter 17, and we are continuing in a series called Conversations with Jesus. That's what we've been doing all semester. We've been following his life recorded for us in the Gospel of John. And we're actually getting pretty close to the end of the story. There's only four salt companies left. And tonight in John 17, we're going to see Jesus make a transition. Where throughout the whole Gospel, he's been talking to people and just having these, these amazing conversations with very different types of people. Tonight, he's going to take a turn and he's going to talk to his Father in heaven. He's going to talk to God. Okay, this is a conversation within the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says in verse 1 of our passage, when Jesus had spoken these words to his friends, okay, that was last week, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father. So honestly, guys, this is a very interesting and impactful passage. We're basically getting to eavesdrop on a conversation like within the mind and heart of God. It's Jesus praying to his father. And this was overheard by the apostle John, right, the author of this gospel. And then under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, he recorded it for us so that we could actually see it in the Bible. So we got all three members of the Trinity here, this conversation of the mind and heart of God. And now, on a different note, I've got some little kids at home. Jackson's three and Hayes is one. And one of the fun things about being a parent is you just get to kind of watch their minds develop and you start to wonder like what is going on in there. And as they get older, they start to tell you and you just kind of see it come out. And so my boys are like big and rough and tough and they're starting to get to that point where every day there's just a bunch of different fights. They're rolling around, they're screaming, they're crying. Jackson is blaming things on Hayes. They're not sharing. And over and over again, as I'm starting to talk to Jackson and help him kind of understand what's going on inside of his mind and inside of his heart, the problem with him at this point is that he wants the world to revolve around him, right? He thinks he's the center of the universe, right? That, that is like what is going on with him. There's this like deep selfishness, this, un, this inability to kind of have a perspective that is bigger than him. And that's what causes all these like fights with his brother. But honestly, wouldn't we all say that the same is still true about us as adults. We all have this just kind of impulse that we wanna be the center of the story, the center of the universe. Just today I was kind of working on this message and I was at a coffee shop and I took my coffee up to get a free refill and they forgot to dump out the cold coffee before they gave me my free refill. And I just remember sitting there and thinking like, how did you not, how did you, why would you do that? How did you not know that that's not what I would have preferred, right? Small example, but we all have this little impulse inside of us for whatever it is that, that we think people should know that really this thing is about us. And in this prayer that we're gonna see tonight as we peer into the mind of God, the mind that created all things and that created and wrote the story of the universe, what we're gonna find is that we are not the center of the universe. He is. And just like at the beginning, that is a truth that will set you free from a lifetime of disappointment and being a jerk, if we will all embrace that, right? We are not the center of the universe. And maybe, you know, probably, hopefully at this point, that's not a total surprise to you, that you're not the center, you're not the point. 
You know, even if our hearts kind of rebel against it, we, we get it, we understand. If you're a Christian, you know that, that it's actually God that all of this is about. It's not about you, it's about him. But the surprising thing for me, because I know that, right? The surprising thing for me, though, is I looked at John 17 this week, and I read this prayer, and I opened up the Bible, and I read the story that it tells I see that the center of the story is God and it revolves around him. But then in this prayer, in this prayer between Jesus and his father, as he kind of opens up God's heart to us, as he opens up God's mind to us, and we're able to peer inside and see the deepest drive and desire, what moves him deep down in his heart. Do you know what we find at the center of God's heart? He's the center of the story, but do you know what's actually deep down at the center of his heart? So I'm not going to tell you right now, that's what this message is about, right? But we're actually going to look in John 17. So why don't you just open it up with me? And I really want you, if you've never like read much of the Bible before, here's a great chance tonight for you to like really look at these words with me and study it and try to understand. And this is a beautiful prayer by Jesus. This is a powerful prayer by Jesus. But this is actually like a really complicated prayer by Jesus. He like says a whole bunch of things and he kind of repeats himself and like you kind of have to follow his logic. And so Really pay attention and look at this text with me. We're going to look and see what is deep down in the heart of God, okay? Verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is what it is. That they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Okay, pause for a second. This is the beginning of his prayer. And so what is Jesus praying about here at the beginning? The glory of God. You see that word glory over and over again. God is central. He says, life itself, eternal life, is to know God. Jesus says, I had a glory with you before the world existed. God is all about his own glory. And that doesn't make him prideful, that makes him God. And it makes him good. When you think about God's glory, it's his weight. He's like the blazing center of the story, like, like the sun. You think about the sun and our solar system, everything else orbits around it draws life from it. That's what God is like. And the best thing for the sun to do is be glorious. <laughs> the best thing for the sun to do is to be really hot and really powerful so that we all get the benefit in the same thing it is with God. That's how Jesus' prayer begins. The glory of God. God is the point. God is the center. But then where does that leave us? Verse six. I have manifested your name Another reference to his glory, his glorious name. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word and now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they received them and they've come to know in the truth that I have come from you and they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So what's Jesus praying about now? 
He's still using this word glory. He's still praying that he would be glorified, but now he's praying specifically for them. Now he's praying for people. And not just people in general, but people to like be with him, to belong to him, to be close to him. Look back at verse 10. He says, all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I am glorified. I am the point. I am absolute. I am supreme in them, in relationship to them. So he's kind of bringing people into this. Look at verse 11. He says, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. So again, keep looking at the text. I'll just kind of talk you through it. Notice how closely associated our names are with his name. He's saying, I don't want people to merely orbit around me in my glory. I want them to actually be close to me. I want them to be united to me. Verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Again, notice. Notice how closely united Jesus is saying he wants to be with people, with us. He says, I want my joy to become their joy. I want my very character, myself, to become united to theirs. I was sent, and I want them to be sent in the same way. And now pick it up in verse 20. This is where he ends the prayer. It says, I do not ask for these only. He's talking about his first followers, his disciples, his apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you have loved me. His glory and his love becoming our glory and our love. And then here he gets to the very heart, okay? Verse 24. It's his father. He's praying to his father. This is a conversation within the mind and heart of God. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you. They know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Okay. That's kind of a lot, right? I mean, it's kind of amazing that John, however he did this, was able to like get all of those transitions and get all of those words right and record all that. But it really is an amazing prayer. This thing is like packed with some just major truths about God, some majorly important truths about us. But again, it's not like a, a, we're peering into a bookshelf and kind of trying to piece through textbooks. This is the very heart 
of God we're looking at. So let's just summarize and simplify it for a second so that we can understand what Jesus was praying about, okay? This is what Jesus is saying. The universe was created by and revolves around God, not us. We are not the center, right? It is not about us. And our hearts are constantly jockeying for position, like with each other, and yes, even with God, right? To be at the center, to be at the center of the story. We have this impulse to wanna make it all about us. This biblical word is called pride. But get this, that's not all that the prayer was about, right? We're not at the center. God is at the center, but God being at the center doesn't mean we are pushed to the margins. God being at the center of the story doesn't make us an incidental part of the story. In the book of Philippians, Paul, he calls Jesus the name that is above all names. But in this prayer, we see that before the foundation of the world was laid, God had our names on his mind and on his heart. He said in verse 24, Father, I desire, my heart is moved that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. I have made known to them your name that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. God is the mind that like dreamt up the universe, right? He created it. it, it all of this was first just a, a thought and a dream in his mind and he made it happen, but you were not an afterthought in the mind of God. You were at the forefront of his mind before the foundation of the world. Jesus is saying, Jesus is praying that the very glory and love that he had with the Father, the love within God himself before the world began, that's what he desires to invite us into. Okay, and here's why, I know this is like crazy. It's like, how do you <laughs> wrap your, I just wanna go, ah, I, I literally wrote over here like, ah, exclamation point. Like, what do, we, what do we do with this? Why does this matter? Let me tell you why this matters, okay? When you get this, when you see into the heart of God and realize that you are not at the center of the universe, he is, but you are down at the center of his heart. When you get that, you no longer have to exhaust yourself trying to make your way to the center of the story because you realize that in Christ, you already are. You already are. But our discontentment, right, our jealousy, our anger, our fear, our apathy, our selfish ambition, it all just kind of reveals that our hearts don't really know and believe this, even if you're a Christian in this room tonight. Our hearts just don't really believe it. And people who are at peace, they're content, they're full of joy, overflowing with love and patience and self-sacrifice, these are people who have begun to grasp the magnitude of what it means that they belong to God. And that's what we need to do tonight. Okay, so let's actually just take a closer look at John 17 together in the time that we have left. Let's look at the heart of God for us and, and let's let it convince us of our place in his heart and in this world. There's really just two dimensions I wanna look at. First, the determination that we see in his heart and in this prayer. And then second, the very desire of his heart. Okay, so first, the determination. If you see back in verse two, it says, Father, this is how he begins the prayer. Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. 
And this hour, the thing that Jesus is praying about is something that God had planned from before the foundation of the world, something that he had been determined, a plan he had been working. Has there ever been like a plan in your life or just something that you were very determined to do? One of the most important things in my life I've ever been determined to do was uh, marry my wife. And it all started junior year of high school, pulled into a 7-Eleven parking lot with my friends. This fateful night, another car pulls up in the same 7-Eleven parking lot. Turns out that one of my friends, his girlfriend is driving the car, and then this, this girl named Caitlin is riding uh, shotgun. You know, we're just getting Slurpees. It's 11 o'clock at night. Who, know, who knows what we're doing? Me and my friends are like, hey, we were going to go back to my friend Matt's hot tub. Maybe you girls would want to come with us. Not sketchy at all, just very normal thing that you would do as a junior in high school. The girls come back to the hot tub. We're hanging out. This is a great, this is a great night. Um, neither, neither me or Caitlin are, are Christians at this point. And I just remember, I remember something just kind of like in, in the conversation in the hot tub, you know, I, I find out that like her family's from Cleveland. She's a Cleveland Browns fan. And I, I like remembered that about her. And then I remember as the night, the night was ending, you know, we, we kind of are all going our separate ways. But I tried to do the thing where like I made sure that before she left, she was going to have to bump into me. But it was like in the movie where they do the, like the scene like from vertically where you can see where everybody in the house is. I went to like change out of my clothes in one bathroom and she must have been like on the other side of the house and we literally walked in like the opposite direction and then she was gone. She was gone. But I, here's my point, I determined in my heart that night that I was gonna find this girl. Now here's the problem. I went to a high school that was like 6,000 people. This was, believe it or not, before the iPhone. This was like 2008. I had a uh, Razor cell phone. Uh, I don't even know if I had text messaging yet. So I, I just kind of had like no way. There was no Facebook. I didn't know how to, how to find her, but I determined in my heart. Now to fast forward the story, I bump into her a year later. We go to the same college. We ride off into the sunset. We've been married seven years. It was beautiful, right? It was. If you want to know more about the story, we're having this dating and singleness discussion on Sunday. You should come and, and she'll be there and we'll talk about it. But here's my point. Here's my point. John 17, this prayer between Jesus and his father is about a plan that before the foundation of the world, God had determined in his heart to have a people. This is what Jesus is praying about. When he says, the hour has come, I glorified you on the earth. I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. Everything in Jesus' earthly life had been leading up to this hour. Bigger than that, everything in the history of the universe had been leading up to this hour. In John 17, Jesus, he's come to the end of his road. He's about to go to the cross. This is his hour. He's praying to God the Father about this plan that they had in motion before the beginning of time. And so here's the plan. I just want to unpack it for you guys. This is the plan of God that has been in motion. First, God decided. Somebody say, God decided. God decided. He made a decision before the foundation of the world. Before the world and people even existed, God decided that he would give eternal life to people. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to what? To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. 
This is the decisive moment where Jesus would give eternal life to the people. This, his hour, this was his life's work to live and to die for us so that we could be forgiven and live. This was a decision that he made. In eternity past, God decided. And then at the cross, his hour, he cries out, it's finished. Right, like the work that I came to do, the work that I planned. Guys, this is your life we're talking about here. This is your name. Before anything else existed, it blows your mind, but he had your name in mind. He had an hour in mind. But only people who respond to that call receive the eternal life that he offers. And that's the second thing. He decides, but he also calls. Somebody say, God calls. God calls. Verse 6. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and then you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. I have manifested your name. God's plan is not that people would find him, but that he would go and find them. He would manifest his name to people, and they would respond. They'd hear his voice. They would keep his word. And this is every Christian story. All over the world right now, throughout history, in this room, you hear his name, right? He calls your name. You believe. When I think back to my freshman year of high school, it was, it was a combination. I didn't know what was happening, but God was pursuing me. And a combination of the Bible being opened and taught like this, me starting to open it up on my own and actually read the words of God, the words of Jesus. People coming into my life to help me to understand it, to pray with me. Me starting to see other people that were following him. And then this deep conviction of my sin, my need for a savior. All of those things just converged in the winter of 2009. And I didn't get struck by lightning in the middle of the street. It wasn't, there was no like dramatic moment where I remember. Some people's stories are like that. But I remember a season in my life where I heard his name calling out my name. God calls. He decided before the foundation of the world, and then he calls. And you might struggle with this. Like, it, it is, it's hard to kind of, like, piece together how does that exactly work, like, chronologically. Like, you might struggle with the reality that God decided to save people before the world began. It almost maybe feels like you didn't have a choice or something, right? And we can, we can get into that. I'd love to talk to you, like, let's sit down and talk. But the thing we need to see tonight and what Jesus would say is don't get too caught up in, like, analyzing my words and trying to do the math. Listen to my voice. Don't, like, worry about how it's all happening. Like, do you hear my voice right now calling out to you? Because when I speak, you hear me. And I save that's the third one, God saves. Somebody say, God saves. He decides, he calls, and then he saves. Look back at verse two. He says, you have given him authority over all flesh. God the Father said, Jesus, you have authority to give eternal life to people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. He saves us from eternal death by giving us eternal life. He saves. He doesn't, he doesn't help us. He saves. He authoritatively, like, steps into your story. He gives you a gift you don't deserve. That's what we call it, grace. And this salvation, it's not a 
ticket to heaven that we cash in one day. It's actually a new life with God that starts right now. He says eternal life. Eternal life is to know the true God, not just know about him, but know him in like this ever-deepening relationship. He decides, he calls, he saves. And then the last one, he keeps. Someone say, God keeps. God keeps. Verse 12. Jesus prays, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Listen, if God gives you the gift of eternal life, you will never perish because you can't lose what you didn't earn. You can't lose something that you never earned. Earlier on in the Gospel of John, Jesus, he uses different imagery to describe this. He talks about himself as a shepherd and us as sheep. This is what he says in John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So tonight, like, hear his voice. We're, re- we're reading this prayer of Jesus. If you are caught in sin, hear his voice. Turn, turn back to him. If you've wandered away, come home. Hear his voice. If you're not sure if you actually belong to Jesus yet and you're in here tonight, maybe you've kind of had it in your head or you've said to your friends, like, I'm waiting for a sign. <laughs> like, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for a voice. I'm waiting till, till I just know. What I'm saying to you tonight is I'm, I'm reading the Bible to you. I'm reading the words of Jesus. Hear his voice. John 17, this is your sign. This is the voice. Jesus has come home. And if God has saved you, if God has saved you, you can't outrun him. You can't outsin his love. He'll keep you. He says, I give them eternal life. They will not perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So we see in John 17, guys, that God, he's, he's the greatest being in the universe. Can we just agree on that? If he's God, then he's God. And he's determined before the beginning of time to have a people for himself. And what God determines to do, he does. But here's the thing. This is so important. His determination, right, his drive, it is not driven by some sort of deficiency or incompleteness in himself. It's not what drives him. He's not like us. He doesn't have imperfections. He doesn't have needs. He's not deficient in value or glory. He's not deficient even in love. And so why this plan? Why did God set out before the foundation of the world? Why was he so determined to have a people? Well, we should have felt it from Jesus at this point, and we've actually seen it. His determination was driven by a desire. He was determined not out of need, but out of desire, love. A desire to share, a desire to give, a desire to love. The glory and the love that Jesus has been saying, like, Father, I had that with you before the beginning of the world. This love that he's always had in himself, this glory that he's always had, he did it out of a desire to share it with us. And don't miss this. This is, this is massive. This is like 
paradigm shifting forever type of stuff, the beating heart of the universe, at the very center of it, God's very heart is a desire to give, not to take. That's, that's like the core of reality. So let's talk about the desire of his heart. The desire of his heart. Maybe you've heard someone say God is love before. That's what we're talking about. At his very heart, at his very core, he is love. Look, at, look back at verse 24. It says, Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus says, I want the love with which you have loved me to be in them and I in them, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So this is a, uh, this is like, it's a somewhat horrible analogy, but it's the best one I've got to describe kind of how this works. But does anybody else, when you're eating, just feel this like uncontrollable urge to make noises when you do it? Anybody else? So here, here's, what's here's what's happening in that. When I eat a good sandwich, the glory of it, the glory of the sandwich, it, I eat it, I digest it, I taste it, and there, there's something that is happening that I, I almost can't help myself, but I just start making noises, right? It, it brings me so much joy. And listen, hey, this is a very serious point I'm making here. The glory of the sandwich, it brings me so much joy, and the joy almost feels like it's not complete, it's not fulfilled until I just let it burst out of me in some kind of strange noise. And then even beyond that, what I usually do is I look at someone and say, you've got to try this. That's what happens deep down inside of me when I eat a sandwich. Okay, now, God, the deepest desire of God's heart is to be glorified, to be made great by the enjoyment of his people. Okay, the deepest desire of God's heart is to be glorified. Yes, it's about him, it's not about us. But the way he is glorified is through the joy of his people enjoying him. And so the most loving thing that he could ever do for us is show us his glory. This is what Jesus has been saying. He says, Father, I desire, my desire is that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am so they see my glory. This glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. There's a, a pastor named John Piper who famously put it like this. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied with him. Deep down in the heart of God is a desire, a passion for his glory and a passion for your joy in him. And they are not competing passions. They're one and the same because he is love. And so Jesus' determination to go to the cross, he says he did it so that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is the heart of God. This is the surprising thing that we see when we look down into the heart of God. We're not the point of the story. We're not the center of the story. We did not create the universe, he did. 
But deep down in his heart, he was determined to have you. He desired to have you. He created the universe out of an overflow of love and joy so that you could enjoy him. And so let's just end with this question. What would it mean for our lives to, as Jesus prayed, to have the the joy of Jesus fulfilled in us? What would that mean? That's what he prayed for. He says, "I I want my joy, the love that I share with you, Father, the very love of God itself, I want you to have that fulfilled in you. A couple things. First, if we were filled with the joy of Jesus, I think we would be less needy and mean. Does anybody else here get just, would you describe yourself as like, you know what? Truth is, I actually, I'm kind of needy and I can get kind of mean. Anybody else in the room besides me? Yeah, that's us. In verse 26, Jesus, he says, I came so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Here's what we need to realize. Here is what we need to realize. At the, we live in a universe where love and joy are not scarce, but they are abundant because of God. Like we live our lives like it's such a limited resource and that's why we feel like we need to take it from each other and hoard it for ourselves. We get needy and we get mean. Right, like in your classes, you can't be happy for the person that got an A because it actually like affected you and you weren't able to get it. It's this scarcity mindset. But what if like one of our biggest problems in life is that we don't grasp what it means to truly be loved by God? This is one of the things that just like jumped out at me from the text this week is that God the Father He actually feels the same way about me as he feels about Jesus, if I'm in Christ. That's what Jesus is praying about. It's it's almost too hard to believe. Like, as I've been saying, the universe, it doesn't exist for the glory of my name. It exists for the glory of the name of Jesus. But there's a song we're going to sing tonight that says, my name is graven on his hands. My name, my story is written on his heart. If I was filled with the joy of Jesus, I would be less needy and less mean because I would, I would have that. Here's the second one. If I was filled with the joy of Jesus, then what unites us as people would be stronger than what divides us. Okay, in verse 22 and 23, it says, the glory that you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Okay, so we got an election next week, right? Everybody knows that. There are political differences that divide people when ultimately like your ultimate identity is in politics. And sometimes it can get ugly, right? There's just massive divisions that happen. It's not fun. But what Jesus is praying about here is he's saying, hey, God's people have a glory and a love and a hope that is so much higher than a nation or a party. And Jesus's people, because they have my love, they should actually be able to display a unity, not a uniformity. It's okay to have lots of different types of differences, but a unity around him, around his glory, and around his love that is actually like on display for the whole world to see. And what if your generation of the church was so filled with the joy of Jesus, so one with God, like Jesus is praying, that the beauty of what unites you 
was just shocking to the world and overshadowed all the disagreements and differences that can happen amongst people. That's what Jesus prayed for, is a, a oneness like that. And so here's the last one. If we had the joy of Jesus filling us, then we'd tell everyone that they gotta try this. Okay, like, like me with, with the sandwich. Verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. These first disciples that, that overheard this prayer, John, that recorded it, they became a movement. They became the church. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And it wasn't because they were talented. It wasn't because they were smart. It wasn't even because they were good. It was because they saw the glory of God. They were brought into the love of God. The joy that they had in Jesus, it couldn't be contained. It just had to come out of them. So the mission of the church, it's not to like convince and convert people to join our club or like pick our ideology or something like that. The mission of the church is to invite people into the very glory and love from the heart of God. It's at the center of the universe that everything good in this world flows out of. It's about telling the world about the heart of God. Let's turn to him and pray back to him now. Jesus, we, we pray to you now, fully realizing that you prayed for us first. God, that the, there was a decision made that you would save us, that you would send Jesus to live and die for us. God, we are just caught up in that story. So humbly tonight before you, God, we just, we submit our, our stories to you and we say thank you. God, we, we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve to be pursued by you, but we have heard your voice. God, our names are graven on your hands. Our names, our stories are written on your heart. So Jesus, we sing to you tonight. We sing to you.